Welcome to the Demand Generation Show, Episode 3. Today, we're talking to David Winehouse about how marketing and sales are really coming together to become one discipline. Let's get started. David, thanks for joining us on the Demand Generation Show. Absolutely. Happy to be here, Doug. So tell us a little bit about what you do at HubSpot. Sure. So uh, I work at HubSpot, of course, which is an inbound marketing software company. I'm in charge of partner sales enablement, working for the HubSpot Partner Program. So I'll just describe what that is. The Partner Program works with marketing agencies who both are trying to grow their business as well as implement inbound marketing for their clients. Um, I used to be a channel account manager, which means I had a book of partners that I work with, marketing agencies, to help them do those things, grow their business, and sell more inbound. I did that for about four years, and at the end of that time, got very interested in sales training, so not just training my book of 60 partners or so, but trying to help the program take what I had learned and what my uh, what my partners had shared with me and broadcast that throughout the program. So now I'm in charge of the sales training program for uh, for all of our agencies at HubSpot. Very cool. One, one of the fun things I learned about you at Inbound was that you had been with UPS and you were a marketer there, correct? That is correct. I delivered packages for UPS for a day or two, which is part of the uh, indoctrination process at UPS, but I spent the majority of my time on the uh, corporate marketing group there. So how did you go from bleeding brown to bleeding orange and from the marketing <laughs> side to embracing sales enablement? It's a good question, and I went to uh, Duke Business School in between, so I, uh, I bled uh, royal blue uh, in hey, between my I'm a Terps fan. That's dangerous. Colors. <laughs> we might not be able to get along now, now that I know that. <laughs> We're going to have to throw down after the call today, Doug. That's right. Uh, yeah, so um, going from UPS to HubSpot, and I'll, I'll in fact, um, I'll back up a little bit further. Before working for UPS um, and before going to business school, actually, I worked for one of the big, at the time, six uh, consulting firms, and that was a relatively junior position at the time. But um, I've mentioned that because I really had no interest in sales at all at the time. And in fact, I was I was averse to it. I remember thinking as kind of a junior person of big six that, I really was not interested in the partner track at all. You know, kind of the the line at the time is how do you know if a you know if a partner is lying, and that's that their lips are moving. Um, which I you know I I didn't take personally to the partners at our firm. I think we're actually a very high quality firm, but I think it was kind of the jest in general, just about folks who were out there selling for a living, and that was kind of my perspective at the time. Is it it really just wasn't interested uh, an interest of mine to go into sales. However, I was really interested in new business generation, which is what led me to go back to business school and then eventually take that marketing position with, uh, with UPS. And I loved it. I loved doing the corporate marketing, and I got into a little bit of digital marketing as well. Um, then what happened is uh, UPS corporate is in Atlanta, and life interrupts, as it so often does. Um, had two kids. Uh, and we were not living near family at the time and decided, you know, with two young children, we wanted to move closer to, to family, uh, and it made sense to move to Boston. But I didn't really want to continue working for UPS, which would have meant going to work at, like, a local station or something like that. So I decided to look for something else, and, uh, you know, I didn't 
Boston's a big financial town. I, I wasn't really interested in financial marketing. It's also a really big tech town, which I was interested in. And, you know, one of the easiest ways to get a job was in, uh, was in sales. And although I had been kind of averse to sales initially, in the course of my career, you know, I'd met a lot more salespeople. And, you know, most of the time the salespeople didn't exactly rock my socks off in terms of what they were doing. And I, you know, I kind of started to say to myself, this, this isn't rocket science sales. It's not easy work by any means, but it's not rocket science. And I thought that I could do it as well or, or better than a lot of the sales folks that I met. And it was a great way and a great foray to get into high tech world here in Boston. So I became a salesperson. And here we are many years later. Uh, I found that I liked it. It was a lot different than what I thought it was. It wasn't kind of moving your lips and lying to people. It was actually helping people and looking for the people that you can actually help. Uh, found out I was, uh, I was halfway decent at it and then uh, ultimately decided to uh, help others. And in between then, particularly the time when I was getting the job is what led me to HubSpot and Bleed Orange per se. And just me and HubSpot were very well aligned in terms of our philosophy, uh, in terms of helping people as a means to uh, you know, make uh, their life better, but also to make a, a living for ourselves uh, in terms of sales. Very cool. Bring it full circle. You know what the difference between a used car salesperson and a high-tech salesperson is, don't you? I'm afraid I'm scared to ask, Doug. What is the difference? At least the used car salesperson knows he's lying. <laughs> I I don't think I like the implication of that, uh, but I I see where you're going with that. It's it's just the how do you know when a salesperson's lying, their lips are moving. So let's let's jump into the meat here. Um, And and we actually had an interesting conversation before the recording started, so I'm very interested to what your your response is going to be. This is a question we're going to be asking every guest. How do you define demand generation? And why is it important? Or I guess I should ask, is it important? So, so yeah, so we talked a little bit about this before, so I kind of teased it with you, but I didn't, I didn't deliver my full thought. So as I was thinking about this question beforehand, I, 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 I don't want to rain on the parade of the term demand generation, but I take a little bit of issue with the term. Um, I don't necessarily think of it as demand generation, like I want to go out and generate demand for my product. I think of it more as demand location, so if I have a good product and I've done a good job putting that together to meet a market need, I don't view it as much that I need to go out and actually create that demand for it. I would view that that demand is already there. It's now a matter of me going out and being strategic and finding that demand. Now, that's not to say that that demand is always on the surface. It could be kind of a latent need that folks have, and I need to do my job as a salesperson and understand what they're trying to accomplish and ultimately if they align with with what uh, with what we're offering and what we're doing but i i don't view it as generating that demand i i view it as finding that demand in fact um you know sometimes we've talked and i've heard the, the the term in the sales world you know you need to create urgency with your clients and i've never liked that term i think timing is extremely important in terms of making sales and being successful at it but I don't believe that we create urgency with our clients. I think that we find urgency uh, with our clients or we look for clients that have urgency. I kind of feel the same way about demand generation. We don't necessarily generate the demand where we become very good at finding the demand. So we might be using just different terms to describe the same thing. Let, let's 
let's dig a little deeper into the create urgency versus find urgency. It, would would the term create the in, environment where urgency presents itself? Would that align with your thinking? Or do you not I, understand I think it what would I'm from well, maybe. I, I, how I would hear that is kind of create the the conversation or the dialogue where some of those things that may be latent arise. Um, so, for instance, if someone needs to create a certain amount of sales by the end of the year, you know, you want to talk them through all the steps they need to do and kind of line those out by timing. And more often than not, they're behind on their goal. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say I'd create when they need to achieve their goals by, but I would create the dialogue that would lead to an understanding that, hey, yeah, we're behind on what we need to do to hit it. And so in that sense, we've kind of created that dynamic there with the prospect. Is that is that aligned with what you're suggesting? I'm curious how, how you react to this. So one of the things that I've often taught people is that from a marketing or a sales standpoint, one of the things that we have to know is that our customers, our prospects, don't really understand their problems. And initially when I say that, that sounds kind of arrogant. But the, the the backing behind it was if someone fully understood their problem, they would have already done something about it. So you know, very often our job is to, at least from my perspective, is to teach what's happening, to teach what's expected, and and to help educate what the consequences of the things you may be unaware of are. And in you know taking something from being unknown to known for a prospect, then the urgency presents itself. So the urgency didn't exist before you began that educational process, if you will, and now it does. Yeah, I, th I think from the sense that an urgency has to be felt by the prospect, I think you're correct. Like part of our job is to, 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 to bring that forth and to bring that out and to bring that emotion out as well as supported by the, you know, the circumstances of their situation. And they may not have felt that before we walked in the door. And uh, I, I think we need to match that up with whatever their goals would be to create that. But th I think I'm agreeing with you, Doug. Yeah, I think, I think we are. Would you agree with me that four years ago, let's say as recently as four years ago, people didn't know they needed inbound marketing and a large part of HubSpot's job from both a marketing and sales perspective. And that's really where I br bring the term demand generation is it really puts marketing and sales in a, in a straight alignment. But a large part of HubSpot's job was to teach you what you were losing by not doing inbound marketing. And then the urgency comes from understanding, uh-oh, we're losing this. We're not aligned with our buyers. I didn't know that before I came across what HubSpot was putting yeah. out. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, when I started HubSpot, which was in 2010, it was much more of an, an evangelical type of a sale. And it still is to some point because we, we talk to folks about transforming the way that they do marketing. And it's, it's hard to do that without challenging some assumptions that they have. But it was even more true, you know, five years ago when um, as my boss at the time, Dan Tyre, would say, when people would say inbound marketing, they'd squinch up their nose and squint their eyes and say, inbound marketing, what's inbound marketing? In which case, we, we had to kind of come on a little bit strong about how the marketplace is changing and be a little provocative in our sales approach. I think at the same time, what I've always tried to do is balance that, um, that provocative side of the sales process with the qualification side of the sales process as well. So there's a little bit of a risk when you get into a provocative mode about not opening your ears because your mouth is so busy moving. So I think 
that's kind of the interesting part of sales of being able to excite and provoke someone and excite them on one hand, but at the same time be thinking, do we really align here? Can I really help this person? Do they really have goals? Is there really that urgency, even if it's not apparent yet, but it's underneath the service that I need to bring out? And spending my time with those right prospects is where I'm going to kind of earn my stripes as a salesperson. I, I agree. You've got a fascinating perspective, I think, ha- having come from the marketing side and done that in a corporate environment to the sales side and 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 now in you know with this whole move to HubSpot, what HubSpot's doing with sales tools, I kind of want to move to that because that's how I got to know you. I think you have a really challenging job. I I, I look and I wonder sometimes how <laughs> you do it because um, because you, you are correct me if I'm wrong, but to, to a degree you are responsible for for getting agencies that have looked at the world through marketing glasses, for lack of a better description. And I'm oversimplifying. But but to really adopt and embrace and lead their clients on the sales side as well, and and there are very few people who are trying to do that. So, so talk to me a little bit about why HubSpot has decided that that's so important, and and what your experience has been working with those agencies and, and the impact of of looking at the picture more more holistically. Yeah, so it's you know it's true, and if people are familiar with with HubSpot, like we're very synonymous with inbound marketing, and I'm going to stress that word marketing because it's how we started out as a firm. So, you know that whole inbound marketing is about changing the way that we market and that we communicate with prospective customers and et cetera, et cetera. But our software, at the end of the day, is meant to allow companies to do that more easily and ultimately convert that traffic into leads and customers. And I slow down when I say that because, you know, traditionally, especially three, four, five years ago, when people thought about marketing, they thought about SEO and traffic and rankings and yada, yada, yada. But that's not really what HubSpot's always been about, and it's not really what success has always been about. It's about taking that and converting it into leads and customers. So our foray, obviously, was through the marketing side of that equation, getting more qualified traffic and leads. But there's a hitch there. So if a company is very good at taking those qualified leads and turning them into customers, then marketing software works really, really well. It can help you crank out a lot more of those leads, which are going to flow through your funnel. However, if a company is not so good at taking those qualified leads and turning them into customers because their sales team or their technology or their process or their market is changing or they're not nimble enough, then you create all the leads you want to, and marketing is not going to be successful. And what's going to happen is they're going to change their marketing software, they're going to change their marketing agency, or they're going to change their CMO, and it's a lose-lose, not just for sales, but for marketing as well. So HubSpot has recognized this. We also recognize we're opportunistic. We recognize an opportunity in the marketplace, which is that marketing has changed a ton over the past five or ten years. Sales has started to change, but at a slower, much slower rate of change uh, than marketing. So we saw an opportunity there to come in and take a lot of these inbound principles, which are, again, how can you be helpful to your customers and educate and add value to them, uh, take those principles uh, next to marketing, bring them into sales, and help sales do their business more effectively as well. So that's how we got into the business. Again, we're a software company, so we start with the tools first. So uh, we started with our uh, free CRM product, which has been great. We have some sales enablement tools as well. We're continuing to work with agencies as well as direct customers. Uh, it's a younger business than our marketing product, but we're, we're super bullish on, uh, on sales as well as we continue to be bullish on marketing as well. Very, very cool stuff you guys are doing. 
What is the role of technology for a small mid-market company, especially on the sales side? I, I think it's become increasingly obvious of the role of marketing automation and, and those tools. But there's still, I see, a lot more struggle on really understanding and adopting technology and, and not just throwing bells and whistles at something, but really a smart approach to technology. What, what's your viewpoint on that role for small mid-market companies? Yeah, so I mean, and I'm unique too. Like in between working for UPS and working for HubSpot, I had my own freight business for a little while as well. So I've been in like, and that's a really small business because it was essentially me with some support folks as well. But, you know, I, I was selling as part of that business. And the way I was selling, I'd get a bunch of leads, I'd put them in a spreadsheet, I'd call, I'd make notes on the spreadsheet, I'd follow up, I'd look for my spreadsheet, I'd sort my spreadsheet, I'd you know, I'd have like multiple string of notes in one single cell of the spreadsheet. And this was just me working alone. If I had colleagues or multiple salespeople and I was trying to manage how everyone was doing or manage a pipeline and a forecast, it would have been a nightmare. And unfortunately, like for most small and medium businesses, that's what the sales process and systems are. They're a nightmare. You have different salespeople, even at HubSpot, where we have, you know, hundreds of uh, reps on quota. We still have people on spreadsheets. I still use spreadsheet in addition to using Salesforce. And Salesforce is great, but it's great for certain things and for managing your forecast and being nimble with it and, you know, trying to add your numbers up and playing what if scenarios. It's like it's a nightmare for a salesperson to try to do something like that. So you have Salesforce, but then you have salespeople that are, again, going back to the spreadsheets. And I think that's, that's really common at small businesses where you either rely on that stuff or you're using it to supplement, and it becomes very hard to get visibility over your entire sales system. So I think the promise of sales technology for smaller and medium-sized businesses is, you know, using this software, but trying to use software that wasn't necessarily architected for an enterprise where it can become extremely cumbersome if you use it for a small and medium businesses and work within the realm of software that's been more architected for a small and medium business environment. So in our case, speaking like the HubSpot product set and where we started, a CRM is like the natural one because it replaces spreadsheets. And there are a number of other CRMs out there for small and other medium businesses besides HubSpot. But having a CRM and one that's kind of light and easy to use, I think, is a, a first element for a sales department. And then as we've talked about, Doug, before, there are a number of other tools that you can supplement, including around getting like real-time notification about what your prospects are doing and lead intelligence and things like that. But I think that CRM is kind of the core that holds it all together, and then you can branch out uh, from there. Is that what you were what kind of you, getting at? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. By, by the way, just for the record, uh, HubSpot CRM, first CRM I've ever used that I actually said I enjoy using it. So, again, kudos on that. Excellent. I, I'm curious, if you were talking to a mid-sized company, that you know they're not on the cutting edge of of technology. They sell professional services, maybe logistics. Who knows? Uh, you know, non SaaS, non tech company. Mm -hmm. Good solid side. Say they got a sales team, five fifteen, five to fifteen people. They've got moderate experience. They they've got a reasonable set of of tools. They've got some form of CRM, and they're trying to utilize sales enablement tools and, and, and take the whole concept of sales enablement. What what would you tell them is the way to get them from where they are to really be able to leverage that that will allow them to grow more easily and faster? Yeah, well, I, I have some thoughts. I mean, um, being kind of an exploratory process, I'd want to know a little bit more about how their sales team 
where they get their leads from um, and what kind of intelligence they have on those leads and also how they approach those leads and what kind of research they do on those leads as well. So I think we want to start with the sales process overall and understand it. Now, presuming that they want to have a consultative sales process or they do have a consultative process, they're probably going to have some challenges. So the first thing I like to suggest to a salesperson is how do you prioritize your leads and what kind of research and knowledge do you have about those leads so that you can prioritize them. So if they're using a lead generation system, usually those leads would come in from online or from another source, but they're going to have like a, a dossier on those leads, including what pages they visited, what they've downloaded, when they've been active on the site, how recently they've been active on the site, um, the forms that they filled in on the site. So for instance, you know, is it a senior level executive? Did they fill in the field for their biggest challenge that they might have? And with all that information, if a salesperson can review it, and you can review it if it's on the system in a, in a fairly quick fashion, um, how are you going to set up your day so prioritize those leads so you can start um, working them? So most of the time, like with that as a premise, just getting those leads and having that knowledge, um, most companies are not there yet in terms of their salespeople, um, their salespeople having that. So that's where I would start would be from a lead management and a lead intelligence perspective. Now, if they have all that kind of set up and ready to go, I'd probably want to talk a little bit more about approach and what they're going to do and how they're going to introduce themselves and manage those leads and then like notifications and alerts and maybe nurturing of those leads and all that other stuff. But I'd really start with kind of the foundational elements, which are having all that information in a single system and being able to review, prioritize, and, and start to act on it. What are some of the more advanced ways you see companies utilizing technology to drive growth? Uh, like, like sales enablement type technology. Yeah, like sales enablement. Yeah. Um, so I've seen a lot of like sales and marketing starting to work together on campaigns. So traditionally, when we've talked about campaigns, we've talked about it from a marketing perspective, like go to a trade show or launch an ebook and blog about it, or you know maybe put up a radio ad and an offer and drive people to the website. That's what we typically think about as a campaign. Some of the more advanced stuff that I've seen recently are when we think about campaigns to start thinking about like sales-oriented um, campaigns. So an example of that might be instead of putting up a landing page for an ebook, we put up a landing page for a salesperson. So it's the page that's all about a salesperson. It has their picture on it. It has testimonials. It's almost like a LinkedIn page, but it sits off of the company's website, and it also has a call to action right there on the web page. So it might say, for more information about me and how I service other industries in your segment, fill out this form. Um, not that necessarily their conversion rate is going to be terribly high, but what they can do is they can include that landing page in some of their emails. It could also be included in some like campaigns that the company sends out for marketing. And the salesperson can start to see who's actually clicking through and visiting their profile, uh, how long they might spend on their profile, where they click after their profile. So they can start to get a sense of who's actually interacting with me and how much time are they spending with me as a way, again, to prioritize who they're going to reach out to. But I would consider that like more advanced than what most folks are doing. Most folks, again, they kind of silo sales. They silo marketing. But in this example, marketing can help the sales team build out individual sales rep profile slash landing pages with calls to action. And then they can also train sales how to use those to gather intelligence about how their prospects are interacting with it. Very cool. Artie, I'm going to ask you to take your crystal ball out. I want you to give okay. us a movie preview. So we're, we're <laughs> what is it, January 8th or something today? 
Uh, yep. yep, January 8th. How about that? So we're sitting here January 8th in 2017. So you're still writing 2016 on your checks, but it's 2017. <laughs> what's changed? What's new? What's different? What are we talking about? Um, so I think it's an interesting marketplace right now, Doug, and you know this as well. Like, There's a ton of exciting things like that are out there exploding right, in terms of the technology. And in a lot of ways, I feel like the technology is out there ahead of the marketplace. So I, I mentioned earlier that like inbound marketing is you know five years ahead, or the transformation of marketing is five years ahead of the transformation in sales, and it's partly because of the technology. The sales technology is a little bit newer, but I think it's also because of the culture within sales. You know, I, I tend to think of like marketing departments as we got to constantly transform ourselves, we got to do new things, we got to we got to reinvent how we're going to market. Whereas salespeople are like, heck. What I'm doing is not it's not broken, you know, don't fix it. Like I'm making my number, I'm doing this, um, you know, I do what I do, I'm selling. And the culture is very different. There's a lot traditionally a lot more experimentation within marketing than there has been within sales, with exceptions, obviously, they're more progressive salespeople, but I'm speaking kind of holistically. So what I'd like to see in the next year is not so much that I'm expecting like these great new technologies, even beyond what we have today. I think there are a lot of really cool technologies that are already there. What I'd like to see in the next year is even more adoption of some of the core technologies. So CRM, again, is a really good example where it's in a ton of organizations, but actual salesperson usage of it is extremely low in most cases. Um, what I'd like to see is not just putting technology out there and talking about it, but working with sales teams to use these solutions, particularly ones that are lighter and easier to use for small and medium businesses, to get them to adopt it more, to help them to adopt it more, and help them improve their sales more. So that's what I think the movie is going to look like, Doug, next year. I don't, I don't think we're going to have licked the problem yet, but I think we're going to be further along 12 months from now. I think that's a great lesson for us all to keep in mind, which is let's figure out how to utilize the stuff that we already have before we worry about adding a whole lot of new stuff. Because the one thing we know for sure is there's going to be a whole bunch of companies and a whole bunch of apps that are going to pop up and, and keeping the focus on, on results and, and how can we use what we have. It's probably good advice for everybody. David, thank you so much for joining us. You, I, I think you gave some really great insights. I, I thought I knew you and I learned a lot about you. Um, I can't wait to continue the conversation outside of the podcast. Thanks for joining Absolutely. us. Absolutely. Thanks for yeah, thanks for having me as one of your early guests in the podcast, Doug, and looking forward to following along and seeing where it goes from here. So there we go. Interview one in the can. I hope everybody got some of the key insights that I think David shared. The the whole integration between marketing technology and sales technology is putting a tremendous amount of power in a salesperson's hands as well as in an organization's hands. And one of the things that I've certainly learned about demand generation and what small and mid-market companies need to do to take advantage of that is to really intelligently utilize technology. Make sure that you're using technology and that technology is not using you. So David, thanks again for joining us uh, as our first interviewee. You can say I was there when it all got started. In just a couple seconds, I will be previewing the next piece of technology, a little tech tip on a tool that we use at Imagine uh, and have found tremendous benefits. (music) 
Since we were lucky enough to have David Winehouse join us on today's podcast, I thought let's go ahead and talk about HubSpot's really cool sales enablement app called Sidekick. Uh, I've given this a comprehensive review on the blog in the past, so if you want to read more details about Sidekick and my experience with it, feel free to check out the blog. But I got to tell you, this is one of my favorite power tools to use as a salesperson. Um, I've also found that there's a, a lot of power from a marketing standpoint as well. Sidekick gives you insights into who you're targeting, information about the company. Uh, very quickly, very easily, you go to the website and you can see what size the company is, what they do, things like that. So our marketing manager uses Sidekick when she is triaging our leads to figure out how they should be managed and to make sure that our sales side and our sales development team manages those leads effectively. I use Sidekick all the time in, in a variety of ways, both from a marketing and a sales perspective. Let me give you some of the key highlights about it. Uh, first off, it's got email tracking, uh, which is becoming increasingly popular. Marketers have been tracking emails forever, but we're now able to track individual emails. So I can keep track of my emails. I get notified when someone opens it, but I also have the data to see what emails are opened, when are they opened, are they clicked on. I can look at what's happening for my sales team. I can even look at what's happening with my services team. So we learn a lot about what messages work and what messages don't work. We use this in our sales development program. Our SDRs calling on behalf of our clients. We're able to test which messages work, um, what's the best timing for them, when do we get opens more frequently so we can tie the email send more likely to when someone's going to open it. So really cool stuff. I talked about some of the prospect intelligence, um, but now I'm on the phone with a prospect, with a lead. I've got my sidekick panel on my website, so I don't have to go searching in a whole bunch of different places to learn about them. There's also a great meeting management app, so uh, scheduling meetings has become 10 times easier. Uh, there's document management, uh, and Sidekick also provides a dialer, so the productivity of our sales development reps uh, and frankly, my productivity has jumped tremendously. Uh, Sidekick interfaces with a number of CRMs. I know specifically it interfaces uh, and integrates with obviously HubSpot CRM, with Salesforce, uh, with Base. I know they're working on some other ones. It, it might be interfacing with, with others that I'm just not aware of at this point. But if you haven't tried Sidekick, there's a free version of it. And then there's various premium versions of it. If you haven't tried Sidekick and you're involved in demand generation in any way, you really want to check it out, try it out. I think you'll love it like I do. If you'd like a link to the review I've done on Sidekick or some other links to some features to learn more about Sidekick, you can get that in the show notes. Uh, show notes are available at imaginellc.com slash podcast. So uh, feel free to check that out. Just look up episode three. It'll have some of the highlights today of what we talked with David about as well as links to some of the resources that you might be interested in. That's all for today's episode. Episode three is done. Thanks so much for tuning in. You know, just as a reminder, if you have any questions, if you'd like to touch base, if you'd like to see us talk about something or interview someone, please reach out, let us know. Uh, you can get me email, Doug at imaginellc.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Doug Davidoff. Would love to hear from you. Would love to get a tweet. Also, don't forget, please subscribe to the podcast. Uh, there's nothing that would make me 
and, and my team that's working so hard to create this podcast happier than being able to see you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes uh, or whatever vehicle you use to subscribe to your podcasts. Thanks, and we will talk to you next time.